0: Uh, we're starting a new series this week. Uh, we, we finished out our series on our core values, and here's what here's what was happening in my heart as I as I went through that. I'm not a person. I'm not a preacher who typically tackles like really practical issues. I want to teach the Bible. I just want to preach the Bible. Give me some verses, and let's talk about what it says. It's just that's where I feel comfortable. And so it's always difficult for me to kind of to kind of get really very practical. But what I realized is that we were going through these core values was that if we really value these things, if they're really important to us, if if, if if they are really at the heart of who we are and what we're doing, they should not just be something we talk about here, but they should affect us in our lives. Like as we go into the world, not just in church, but in the broader world that we live, there should be a difference. I mean, if we really believe and value the gospel, if we really value at a core level at at the very center of who we are at a very motivational place the truth of God and and his love for us and how he's commanded to love us to love others if we really value that if we really value the community of God's people not just not just the getting together of it but the the people who God is redeeming out of this world those known and those not yet known if we really value them if we really value the authentic work of Christ in a believer, if we really value the, the, um, the, the commitment that he calls us to, to die to ourselves and to live completely and solely for his glory, if we really value his mission, if those things are really, truly important to us, they should affect how we live and act and breathe. It brought me to a place where I thought, you know what? We, we, we have to look at where we're at in this world. We have to look at these issues, the issues we are facing, and we have to talk about what these values, how they should encourage us to live in light of this. So over the next three weeks, now, I'll just be upfront with you. I was boring and I was going to title this thing, uh, headlines. But my buddy Greg Seitz helped me out, and he came up with a title a little, little better. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I was really tempted To have that song playing, I don't know if you guys know it. I know it's older, um, but to have that song playing as I came up. But, I mean, really, it really fit as I thought about it. As I thought about the issues that we were going to deal with, homosexuality, same-sex attraction, um, Ebola, crisis, not just Ebola, but Ebola and crisis, um, and the end of the world. Those are three issues that have been on people's minds heavily. In recent weeks, months, and, and really for, for several years now. And so we're going to deal with those three issues. But, but here's, why, here's why I think the title of the series fits. The title of the series fits, I think, because as we deal with these, I mean, I think there's unfortunate and an unfortunate reality that many of us are running around like chicken littles. You know this story, right? Chicken little. The sky is falling. He gets hit. He's walking around and and, and depending on what iteration you're reading and, and I'm not talking about the Disney movie, I'm talking about the story. Depending on what iteration you read from, I mean, he's either plucking around in a barnyard or or walking around in the woods and an acorn. Something falls on his head and automatically from his perspective, his little bitty finite things, the sky is falling and he reacts just crazily because something hit him on the head. And in his mind, it's over. I'm running to tell everyone, I'm not gonna go tell the king, I'm gonna go tell the lion, he says. So he comes across people like, or, or other characters like Lucky Ducky, Turkey Lurky, I, I, I'm not gonna remember them, but then they come across Foxy Loxy. I know, this is, I'm more manly than this usually. <laughs> it's really okay. But along the way, every time he comes in contact with somebody, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, we gotta do something, we gotta go tell the king, the sky is falling. Until he comes to Foxy Loxy, and Foxy Loxy is pretty smart. Hey, well, do you know how to get to the king? Do you know, do you know where where he lives? Let me show you. And as the story ends, and this is really crazy, because it's a children's story. Foxy Loxy leads them to his den, they go in, never to be seen again. And it ends. You see, here's the thing. I think that in his heart, Chicken Little probably had the best of intentions. He wanted to help people. He wanted people to know the end is coming. The sky is falling. we got to let people know. Here's where we don't have to be like Chicken Little. The end is coming. But our king already knows that. And the sky will not fall until he's ready for it to fall. You see, we don't have to be chicken little. But just think, just think of how Christians have reacted to issues like homosexuality and Ebola. And the end of the world. You see, we've made it much more about those things than what's really at the heart of who we are and why we are who we are. So let me assure you, I, I, I think that there's a little bit of snarkiness and humor in the title. It's the end of the world as we know it. But my call through this series will not be for us to approach these things as the end of the world as we know it. But to feel fine. Because our king got it in hand. All right? So that's the that's the heart. That's where we're headed. That's what we're doing. And over the next three weeks, we are going to deal with these, these issues. And today we're going to start with homosexuality, same-sex attraction. If you have a Bible... Uh, turn to Romans chapter 1, uh, we're gonna be in, start in verse 18. We'll actually read through the, through that whole rest of that chapter. Uh, but the verses will be on the screen. We'll be stopping along the way to kind of talk about some of the things that he has to say. Now, when it comes to homosexuality, it, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't take, um, it doesn't take much to really see kind of where we're at with homosexuality, right? I mean, it's really kind of everywhere we turn. Just a quick Google search, just a, typing it in on my phone yesterday as I sat in the car on the way back. I typed it in on my phone, and it didn't, it didn't even take me out of our state, right? The search, I didn't even have to leave our state. I was out of the state, but the news headlines, the things that were going on, didn't even take us out of the state. Because just this last week, at the very end of the week, a judge overturned the ban on same-sex marriage. And so there's a report dealing with the same-sex marriage issue and and homosexuality and and how now in Missouri we are seeing homosexual people go and apply for licenses and get married. You don't have to go very far. Just a few weeks ago, I think maybe three or four weeks ago, our city council, council, the city of Springfield, adopted into its into its non-discrimination clauses homosexual uh, and gender identity language so that a, a homosexual person um a person who struggles with gender identity uh things like that, that these people cannot be um discriminated against when it comes to public housing and public public space use of space and and jobs and so there's this there's this thing happening in our city where where we are including this this group of people Turn on the television. You sit in your home, you turn on the television, and nearly every popular show today deals with this issue. It doesn't necessarily proclaim, hey, here it is, but they're including characters and incorporating this storyline of homosexuality in their, in their stories. So it's everywhere. And, 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 here's where I think the struggle comes in. If we don't fall on the right side of this issue, what's deemed to be the right side of this issue, we're casted as, as bigots, backwards, ignorant, intolerant haters. I just asked Dan Cathy, who is of Chick-fil-A, I mean, just a couple of years ago, who came out in his own personal perspective, had free right to speak of his perspective on same-sex marriage, has a constitutional right to do that, but then was uh, attacked for his view. Then to cloud the issue even further is not only is there seem to be people on one side of this issue and seem to be people on the other side of this issue, there's people in the middle who are trying to say that Christianity has no problem with homosexuality. Christianity, in fact, you can be a Christian and homosexual. There's just recently a book written that, that speaks about God and the gay Christian. An open and affirming lifestyle of saying it's, it's completely acceptable. But here's what happens. Here's, here's the crux and here's the issue and here's what happens, I think, in, in light of this is that, is that because even the middle of this issue, even the middle where it's trying to kind of bridge both sides, even the middle is, is, is standing against what, what Bible believing Christians and those who really hold close to the truth would say is an error, is sinful. And because they don't want to accept our perspective, because this side is closing in and saying, I can't accept that perspective, we're we're, we're going to call you names because we feel like you're calling us names. All of a sudden what you have is you have two sides of this issue fighting against each other. And I think that's a problem. Because the Bible teaches us that our war is not against flesh and blood. See, and in my heart, in my heart, when I when I think of what Jesus has done, when I hear Him say, I came to seek and to save the lost, I know that He didn't come to be opposed and only in opposition and be an enemy, but He came to seek and to save. And so at some level, we have to see that He came to reach into sin and pull people out. He came to be for the sinner, to be on their side that they might have Redemption. And we have to, we have to strive to handle this differently. We have to strive to live and communicate and, and, and think differently about this issue. I, I think there's just a better way to handle it. I, I think that if we just answer some questions that we can learn how it is that we should react, what it is that we should believe, and what should we be saying and doing in light of that. So I think the only place we have to turn, the only authority that we can look to is scripture. And so I just, I just wanted us to read scripture and look for ourselves at what it says. So we're going to do that. I'm going to start in Romans chapter one, verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Not a single group. He goes on, For what can be known about God is plain to them. The reason this is happening is because what can be known is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the, in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. God made himself plain. He didn't hide. He didn't, he didn't close himself off and say, I don't want anybody to know I exist. He made himself plain because they didn't acknowledge God, because they didn't acknowledge him as glorious, because they didn't acknowledge him as good and great and gracious, because they didn't acknowledge his eternal attributes, because they ignored what they saw around them. And they didn't live with gratitude towards him, and they didn't live with honor towards him, because they denied his existence and suppressed the truth God gave them Over, He gave them over, it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship to serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I want you to see something. I think it's important that we note this before we go any further. There is not a conversation that happens about the Bible and homosexuality or same-sex attraction that does not end up in this passage. Everyone you search, everyone you look for, every Every person who strives to understand what the Bible says about homosexuality has to end up here. Because there's about six places that call it out explicitly, and this is one of them. And in many cases, in many perspectives, this is the most difficult to be dealt with. I think they're all difficult to deal with. But even Matthew Vines, who just wrote this book about God and the gay Christian, he readily admits, while he doesn't interpret it well, I think, he readily admits... That this is the most difficult passage for homosexuals to deal with as it pertains to Christianity. Paul's point, though, is not, Paul's primary point, his his desire here is not to point out homosexuals alone, is it? That's not the point of this passage. He's giving us a history of man. He's writing about what happened from the fall until now. Well, not now because he's writing before himself. But the truth is, is that it extends even past him. God has been making himself known. He's not hiding himself. And we've denied it. And instead of worshiping the capital G God who created, we are all about worshiping little g gods of our making. The ones that we create. The ones that answer to us, the ones that do what we tell them to, or at least we strive to manipulate, they have no power. But see, in his wrath, it, it is it, his wrath is justified, it is revealed, and in his wrath we become foolish, it says. It means we don't understand things. It's not stupid. It's not like people don't know things. I mean, there's some pretty intelligent lost people out there, right? I mean, there's people who know Jesus who are very intellectual, who are very intelligent, who have IQs that would make us look stupid. That's not what it's saying. It's talking about an understanding, a lack of wisdom. It's foolish. Idolaters, people who worship other gods, driven, he says. He says that we become driven by desires, lusts of our heart, the things that we long for. So just pick out the things you long for. You know, before I got it, I just, I just bought a new iPad. My other one was all messed up. I was driven. I, mean, I hate to admit it. This was the truth. I was driven by a desire to get a new one. But I couldn't just have the last new one. I needed to wait to get the new new one. Right? I'm driven by that desire. I mean, it was inside of me. And, I, and, and again, I, I'm not happy to admit it. I'm not happy to talk about it out loud. I'm not happy to admit that I, I still struggle with that. But it's a reality. I was driven by that desire. That's a small and significant thing, right? But it reveals a really big thing. In fact, he, he says it's not just about our desires. He goes on, I mean, he tells us in verse 24, he says God gave them up in their lust to the, to the, to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. He's talking about the fact that our desire, our passion for our own selfish desires, our own heart's desires, makes it bad for us to be together. We're dishonoring ourselves among one another. It's not even good for us to be together. Do you see that? He's telling us that that we're all about ourselves. We're all about what I want. And that's a detriment to you. Because it can't be about both of us. It's going to be about one of us. And if I have my way, it's going to be about me. That's what he's telling us. And and, and all of this is a result of not knowing, not recognizing, not acknowledging the God who made himself plain. He goes on. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Again, these desires that we long for, these passions, these, these things that we want. He gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. And we're consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So here's the place, here's that point, here's that place where it gets really difficult to say anything but that homosexuality is sin. Same sex attraction is sin. These two verses—they're the, they're the, they're the very center. They're at the very center of this biblical conversation. We can't have any way of getting around this. And, and so, while Paul was not about pointing out homosexuality, and that wasn't his primary purpose, even here he's trying to justify why God's wrath is justified. He's trying to teach us why God's wrath is justified. Even though that's not his primary purpose to call out the homosexual, we can still learn. About this issue. So I'm going to give you four things I think we can learn from these two verses. Same-sex attraction is is not a recently invented sin. You know why we chicken little this issue? Why we're running around like it's the sky falling? You know why the? I mean, you get on get on Google, I I don't get on whatever search engine you want. Get out, get on the internet and, and go and look. And type in homosexuality and the end of the world. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to get sight after sight after sight after sight that says, because we're facing the issue with homosexuality in the way that we are today, that the end is near. Now, I will tell you, I believe the end is nearer today than it was yesterday. (laughs) Paul, according to this teaching, according to what he's teaching us and showing us, it has been... Since men and women have been sinning, it has been. Look, even same-sex marriage, you get on, you get on the internet, you can go and search this stuff out, there's, there's people who are writing about it, and, and there's some good solid Christian authors that are citing issues of this. Same-sex marriage is not new. Alright? It's not new. There's sight, there, there's, there's, uh, writings in antiquity that demonstrate that some even rulers were married. People who were leading nations were married in same-sex unions. It's not a new thing. Now, of course, they're not writing and keeping history about the everyday Joes, but, I mean, if you're seeing it in, in a couple of emperors and, and nation national leaders, you can be certain that you're also going to see it in the populace. Right? Nobody's writing a book about me in, 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 a, in a thousand years. I'm just an average Joe. But somebody would write a book about our national leaders that's that's what, that's what we can see and that's what we know it's not a new thing we don't have to be so scared by this issue we don't have to hide in fear we don't have to we don't have to tower away from the issue we don't have to talk about it in whispers and and think that it's the end People have been dealing with this all throughout history. And we see that because this is a historical narrative. Paul is showing us what has been happening since people first began rejecting their creator. It's not a new sin. Same-sex attraction. We see this. Same-sex attraction is an evidence of God's passive wrath. God gave them up. And the lust of their hearts to impurity, that's a result of of their wrath. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. That's a result of his wrath. It's an evidence of his wrath. It's us seeing his wrath unfold. The reason that that we deal with this is not because God has left us, but because we have rejected God. He gave us what we want. He let us have what we wanted, and he quit interacting in our lives. We got to this place because not because God says it's okay, not because, okay, well, he changed his mind along the way, and now it's all right, but because he quit working to keep us from it. It's a, it's a sign of his passive wrath. There will be an act of wrath to come. But until that day, his wrath will be revealed. Same-sex attraction is the result of a primary rejection of God. See, so we didn't get to same-sex attraction without without first being given to some dishonorable passion. You see that, right? I mean, it's a result of something that's deeper. We didn't get to the d- dishonorable passion by first without first rejecting God, not acknowledging God. It's a symptom sin. It's kind of like the flu. When you have the flu, you know you have the flu because you have symptoms of the flu. Fever, achy joints, runny nose, all that stuff. You just feel terrible. And we know that if we treat the symptoms that it's okay, but we're not really getting rid of the flu by treating the symptoms, right? See, we know that the symptoms are just a sign of something deeper, that there's a little virus that lives inside of us at that point and is trying to kill us. Because it wants to live and it wants us to die. So that's what's happening. You see, the symptoms are just a sign of something deeper. And homosexuality is no different. Same-sex attraction is no different. Gender identity struggles is no different. It's a symptom of something much deeper. In our Christian circles, we're, we're all about trying to get people to not be homosexual. Man, if I could just quit you, get you to quit homosexuality, then maybe I could get you saved. Maybe if we could get people saved, we could get them to quit homosexuality. You see, it's a symptom. we got to quit calling people out of homosexuality and start calling people to Jesus. He's the answer. we got to quit standing in opposition to them and stand by them and say, hey, you need Jesus. You need help. Same sex attraction does not, and I think this is kind of where it turns. I think the reality is I've been pretty straight, and I hope you understand our position on homosexuality as a sin. But here there's a turn. It becomes a little more inclusive because same sex attraction does not stand alone as the sin of sins. It's not even the first sin that Paul mentions. He's already been talking about our sin, our rejection of God, our idolatry, our foolishness, a pursuit of the desirable, the dishonorable passions. See, he's already been talking about that. And he comes to this place and he, he, he does highlight it. He does point it out, but he doesn't single it out. You see, there's a distinction. And, and, and he doesn't just stop there. I mean, if Paul stopped there, maybe we could make an argument that homosexuality in some way was greater or worse. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Again, here's the problem. It's the same issue we've been talking about since we started reading in verse 18. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Now, that stuff sounds pretty bad, right? I mean, evil. They were filled with evil. That sounds rough. That sounds bad. Okay, we get that. We know that's not good. Envy, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Okay, that still sounds pretty rough. Murder, man, we know that's not a good thing. They are gossips. Ever gossiped? Slanders. Ever said something bad about somebody else that wasn't true? Gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Ever been a little bit proud of yourself? Wanted people to recognize your achievements, make sure they know how good you are? Boastful, inventors of I like this one. Inventors of evils. You see, it's not just about doing what's on this list, but we're going to make up things to do that are bad, right? I mean, that's that's what he's saying. These these people outside of Christ, these people who 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 have rejected God, who don't acknowledge Him, they they make stuff up to do that's bad. And so we know this this isn't a a list that is um that, that's just complete. We know that there's things, there's all kinds of things out there. The people are just making it up as they go along. I'm just going to be even worse. I don't think that's their intent, but they that's what they do. Disobedient to parents. Whew. You mean to tell me that because I rejected God, I become disobedient to my and, and that is is his gives me his wrath. How is that? Does that even belong in the same place as the? That's got to be a different list, right? You ever disobeyed a parent? I'm glad my mom's not in this one. I'm not going to talk about this in the next one. Just saying. Just saying. Same-sex attraction is not the sin of sins. It does not stand alone. It's highlighted. It's pointed out, but not singled out you see that in fact what what i think paul shows us in this passage what he what he really teaches us and really what he does from chapter 1 all the way into chapter 3 is he demonstrates how desperately there every one of us how how painfully obvious it is that every person who has ever lived in all of history and until jesus come back everyone will need a savior That includes everyone sitting in this room. That includes those who stand up and shout at homosexuals, God hates fags. That's for every homosexual that looks at people who says, at Christians who say homosexuality is a sin and call them bigots and haters and intolerant. That goes for the Christian in the middle who says, oh, well, we can all get along. Homosexuality is not a sin. God will openly affirm you. He will receive you. And you don't have to worry about homosexuality. You need to worry. We need to worry about homosexuality, not because it is the sin that sends us to hell, but it identifies that there is a sin that is sending that person to hell. Along with disobedience to parents. Along with gossiping about our neighbors. And our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ, along with slandering one another, along with coveting and envying what other people have. You see, because I know what happened. I know this happened. I talked to you about this new iPad I got. And at least one of you thought, man, I want that iPad. I know you did. Maybe not all of you. But some did. You see, all that all that shows us is that we've got another God other than the real God. See, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, we've got to push through this. Romans chapter 3, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. There's not a distinction between Jew or Greek, and that's what he's really f- referring to. But, but when you connect us to the whole context of the passage, there's not a distinction between the sin you struggle with and the fact that this is true. There is a righteousness revealed in Jesus Christ, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior and are justified. There's not a one of us that can stand and earn our place in heaven and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Same sex attraction is sinful but not unforgivable. Gossiping is sinful but not unforgivable. Disobeying a parent is not, is sinful but not unforgivable. But there is hope in Christ. You see, and, and, and while we have to hold tightly to the truth because we value God's Word, we can't deny it. We can't override it. All we could possibly do is undermine it. But we value the Word. We must hold it close. We must also value the gospel. We must also be willing to offer hope. And I think that this is where it comes in. You see, because as we value truth, instead of just hammering people with truth, we've got to be willing to extend grace. We've got to be willing to tell them about the hope. We've got to be willing to let them see that that, that we aren't going to walk away from them or think that we're going to get dirty because, oh, you're so sinful. Jesus stepped out of heaven into this world while we were yet sinners. He let a prostitute wash his feet. He told the adulteress who was going to be stoned, go and sin no more. And he sent the others away. Who, who of you has not sinned? You see, he, he, he didn't let them off the hook. For sin, but he called them to live in a way that, that that didn't that didn't include it anymore. He called them to obedience and trust and faith. So, what are we going to do? What are we to do? We believe the Bible. Homosexuality is a sin. And while I may not have struggled with homosexual or same-sex attraction, I'm still a sinner just like everyone else. I need a Savior. I think that's where it starts. We humble ourselves. Humble. I'm not the answer. I'm not better. The only distinction between me and you is a role that God's given me. But the thing that unites us is the grace that He's given us. But the only distinction between us then and the world is Jesus. You see, He saved us. I think, I think when we fight for these things, when we fight for ideas, we're defending ideas. We want to be right. We want to prove to people, oh, I I can, I can do this if I can just get them to believe that this is a sin. I can get them saved. No, you can't. We got to humble ourselves. We can't do it. But we know the one who can. We've got to hold to the truth. But I'm not just talking about the truth that says it's sin. I'm talking about the truth that says there's hope. We've got to hold to that closely. There's enough people simply condemning. We need to be a people who, in light of the truth of the condemnation, demonstrate that there is a righteousness revealed, a way that a sinner can be saved. Condemnation by itself is not the truth. You see that? Because it excludes, because it excludes, it becomes a lie. We have to hold to the truth. We have to believe the gospel. I mean, did the gospel save you? Then it can save anybody. You get that? If the gospel was enough and effective to save you, and you may not even think you're that bad of a person, compare yourself to the holiness of God. You do not measure up. If the gospel can save you, it can save anybody. We have got to believe that. You see, here's, here's, here's what I think happens is we, we believe the gospel for ourselves, but we don't believe the gospel for other people. We don't believe it's powerful enough because we don't really believe we're that bad. Paul, in this letter, in this letter, at late in life, a guy who people would have looked at. In fact, in Philippians, he said, I, I, hey, man, I had it all. I was doing it well. People would have looked at me and said, hey, that guy, that guy's on his, he's on the right track. But in this letter, he says, what a wretch I am. Not passing what a wretch I was. What a wretch I am. He's already written books of the Bible by this point. He's already seen miracles done by this point. He's already seen people saved by this point. He's already been tried. People have already tried to kill him by this point And God saved him and kept him alive. What a wretch I am. But he believed the gospel saved him. And he believed because it could save him, it could save anybody. We have to believe the gospel. It's the key to the whole thing. If we're going to humble ourselves, we've got to believe that the gospel is what saved us. If we're going to hold to the truth, we're going to have to believe that the gospel is the truth. It's not just about condemnation, but there's also hope offered. If we're going to engage the homosexuals and, and, and sinners, and any sinners, in a way that does not pit us against them, but lets us stand beside them and live for them, it has to be with the gospel. It's the only message by which we can stand by them and say there is hope. If we leave it aside, all we have is condemnation. We have to believe the gospel. And I mean really believe the gospel. Pray fervently. I don't think we do this enough. I'm confident we don't do this enough. Do you have a list of people in your life that you know that are lost and just dying in sin and you're praying at the foot of the cross daily for them? We've got to be praying that God will move on these people. We've got to be praying that God move on us to empower us and encourage us that we could be able to talk to these people. We've got to stand together. There's two things accomplished in standing together. First, we're able to encourage one another. We're able to equip and serve one another and prepare one another to live in a world that's often hostile towards the views of Christians. But as we stand together, we also become an explanation, a tangible presentation of God's gospel power and work. You see, the rea- I think that this is true, and it's part of why we have building the church that we're building and calling one another to the things that we call one another to. I think that the the problem in today's culture is not because the culture's worse, but because the church has become too centralized. You see, we're doing everything we can to get away from them when God sent us to them. I think that's a problem. So we we have to stand together so that we can be ready to live in this world. But as we stand together in this world visible for everyone to see, we become a tangible presentation of the gospel. <clears throat> and we must communicate closely. We have to communicate closely. Already, there's too many people out there throwing bombs on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, it's easy to say what you think on Twitter, right? It's easy to condemn something on Facebook. It's easy to have your opinion. That, I don't think, is the primary way that God intended us to communicate the gospel. He called us to step into the people's lives and have real conversation face to face so that they would not only hear the truth, but they would see our love. You see, you and I, Paul Peter tells us this, you and I are stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's going to be very difficult to express grace and to extend grace when we're simply throwing a bomb on Facebook. There's enough people doing that. The world doesn't need another blogger telling them why they're condemned. They need Christians who pray fervently, who stand together closely, who believe the gospel deeply, who want to hold to the truth humbly to get in the midst of it to mix themselves up in it not to be of it but to be in it that Jesus might shine now here's the reality some are going to be offended some are going to get mad they're going to turn you away and they're going to they don't want to be your friends anymore i have family members that don't want to be my friend not because i've not offered them the gospel but because i stand for the truth but some will be saved That's our hope. Until that comes, that's what I'm praying for. Until it happens, until we see it, man, I am going to pray desperately for it. I have a video. We're late. We've gone over. But I I want you to see this. I think it's a great illustration. Tim Keller sitting amongst a bunch of people who do not believe the Bible. They all have various views of, well, Everything. Their worldviews are just outrageous. There's a big long video. There's crazy stuff that is said inside the room. But he sits in this room and he has real honest, open conversation about Christian worldview as they share about their views. I want you to see it because I think it's a great example of what it looks like to be these people that I think the scripture calls us to be. So go ahead and play that. Um, so I had a question um, What is the Christian view of homosexuality?
1: Um, there's three parts of, three things that Christians say, I think, that have to do with homosexuality. Um, first of all, the Good Samaritan parable um, and the very model of Jesus dying for uh, people who are opposing him means that all Christians are duty-bound to love and serve their neighbors, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of whether they're people of other faiths, people with different uh, views of sexuality, we are supposed to make this city a great place for everybody to live in regardless of their beliefs. That's, the, that's important. In other words, we have to love people regardless of where they are on that, in the spectrum of belief. Secondly, uh, the gospel of, of Christianity, which is that you're saved not by good doctrine, not by your good works, but by sheer unmerited grace. It pulls out the self-righteousness and the superiority that tends to go along with religious belief which uh, has actually made a lot of gay people suffer. A lot of gay people have suffered under that kind of attitude, and I think the gospel takes that away from us, and that is good for gay people. Thirdly, uh, when the Bible tells us something about how we should live, like sex, money, power, it always does it like this. It says, God created us, and therefore God in his word in the Bible is giving you directions for how you should live in accord with your own design. It's not busy work. It's like when the owner's manual comes to a car, says, "Change the oil every so many thousand miles." It's not busy work. It's saying that's how the car was designed. You know, if you uh, if you violate that, you're actually hurting the car. So the Bible does say, uh, "Sex is for a man and a woman inside marriage to nurture love and commitment in a long-term, permanent relationship of marriage." Which means polygamy. It means sex outside marriage. And it means homosexuality are considered violations of God's will, but also uh, violations of our own design. So the Bible is actually saying you're missing out if you do those things. So the Christian view of homosexuality is you're going against your own design and you're actually missing out on God's best for you. See what he did?
0: He wasn't angry. He wasn't hurtful. But he didn't back down from truth, did he? And I I don't think that we're all going to communicate like Tim Keller. Everybody everybody knows God has blessed that man. But we can try. And I promise you this. If you will make your life about the gospel first, you may not say it exactly like him, and you may not feel like you have wisdom like he does, but God will use that in the life of people who struggle with same-sex attraction in the life of children who disobey their parents, in the life of brothers and sisters who gossip and slander. See, that's really what it comes down to. And that's what I want us to be about, a people who love others enough that we speak truth and offer real grace and hope. Let's pray.